Welcome to City Reach Cumberland's weekly podcast. We hope this message blesses you. For more information about us, you can check us out on the web at cityreachcumberland.com. All right. Uh, so the last few weeks, uh, I, I, I've been doing a series on reaching the one, which is our, our church mission, mission, reaching the one who is far from God and helping them become a passionate follower of Jesus Christ. And if you don't know that by now, I encourage you to memorize it. If you come here, that's what we're all about, is helping that person uh, for whatever reason. Maybe they're far from God because they don't know Jesus at all, never met him, never heard of him, don't have a relationship with him. Maybe they have a relationship and they've wandered off the path. Maybe they're, they're saved and living a certain way. Maybe they just haven't had any teaching. Whatever it is, we want to reach you. And I actually thought this morning I'm going to do another series called Teaching the One because reaching the one is the first half. The other part is... Uh, helping them become a passionate follower. So there's the discipleship phase that uh, really is phase number two, and it's not one or the other, it's both and. So uh, reaching the one, and I think our next, we're going to go to teaching the one. But I couldn't, I couldn't uh, wrap it up without really talking about uh, the three parables from Luke chapter 15, very famous, that really talk about reaching the one. And I really want to uh, finish it up today with uh, we're going to do all three parables, right, in one day. So I'm not going to really teach specific things from each one, but I want to go through all three and then really bring some points that are similar amongst all three. So in Luke 15, if you're familiar with it, Jesus is addressing, it says in, in the first part, and I think in verse 1 it says, all the sinners were drawn to Jesus to hear him. And, and there's something about when Jesus speaks, the, the person of grace when he speaks, it's attractive to sinners, but it repels Pharisees. So it says that the sinners were drawn to Jesus to hear him, but the Pharisees complained because he ate and hung out with sinners. They didn't like it. And so these, so he begins to tell them some stories. And there's three parables here. And the reason I really uh, want to bring these together is because we have the story, first of all, of the lost sheep, of the second, the lost coin, and the third, the lost son. And through this, it's, I think it's imperative that we look at these together because it really shines a light on the three different persons of God. The Godhead, the Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. So when we talk about the lost sheep, obviously the person that finds him is the good shepherd, which represents Jesus. We have the, the woman that loses the, lost, or loses the coin and sweeps the house looking for it represents the Holy Spirit who sweeps the earth looking for lost people. And obviously the lost son comes back to the Father. The Father represents God the Father. So we have God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit in all three of these, but also three different things that are lost. You know, you have the sheep, was obviously the sheep loses his way. Uh, if you look at the story of the lost coin, it really has to do with identity and value and worth and uh, how God restores that. And then also, obviously, the lost son, he loses his inheritance. Everything the father gives him, he squanders it away, and, uh, and he comes back. So I want to look at those three stories today. And really just, uh, I, I just want to look at three things about how God, or the way he reaches the one. And, and so, although we're going to be looking, you know, it's God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, they're really all, they're all equal, they're all one. And I just want to kind of pull together how these three stories really say a lot of the same thing. And so three things 
that God does when he's reaching the one is that, first of all, is his reaction when you're lost. Okay, is number one, his reaction when you're lost. Number two is his response when he finds you. And number three is his restoration of what you have lost. So his reaction when you're lost, his response when he finds you, and number three, his restoration of what you have lost. So let's go ahead, if you have your Bibles, your phones, however you uh, enjoy reading the Bible, let's turn to Luke chapter 15, and let's start, uh, we'll just start at verse, um, verse 3. It said, So he spoke this parable to them, saying, What man of you, having a hundred sheep, if he loses one of them, does not leave the 99 in the wilderness and go after the one which is lost until he finds it. Now, uh, I almost, I'm pretty certain, I'm not 100%, but I almost believe this is like a um, hypothetical question. It's like a redundant question. There's probably no shepherd in his right mind that would leave 99 sheep in the wilderness to go get one. I mean, he's... I mean, let's be real. He's thinking, okay, I got 99. I could leave the 99 and go get the one, and I end up losing the 99. Then what do I have? But there's one shepherd that will do that. One shepherd, Jesus, that will leave the 99. Not that he's not interested in the 99, but, but you're protected. But he leaves the 99 to go get the one. And, and really, all through here, you're going to see the one, the one, the one, whether it's the one sheep, the one coin, the one son. Uh, really why I like these passages, because they, they, they really are, are what we're about here. Verse 5 says, And when he's found it, he lays it on his shoulders, rejoicing. And when he comes home, he calls together his friends and his neighbors, saying to them, Rejoice with me, for I have found my sheep which was lost. I say to you that likewise there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over ninety-nine just persons who need no repentance. Okay, next parable, the lost coin. It says, Or what woman, having ten silver coins, if she loses one coin, does not light a lamp, sweep the house, and search carefully until she finds it. And when she has found it, she calls her friends and neighbors together, saying, Rejoice with me, I have found the peace which was lost. Likewise, I say to you, there is joy in the presence of the angels over one sinner who repents. So, two things here. In verse, uh, in verse 7, it says there is joy in heaven over one sinner who repents and over 99 who need no repentance. And then in verse 10, uh, likewise, there's joy in heaven in the presence of angels uh, over one sinner who repents. So I want to talk a minute. I just want to take a break here before we go to the lost son. And I want to talk about repentance, right? Because I, I think a lot of times we pigeonhole repentance as far as the definition of it. We, we think of it just in one aspect, right? And, and a lot of times nobody likes to talk about repentance. It's, it's a... It's a bad thing. See that hand? Is that a hand? Oh, you were stretching. Okay. You need some repentance this morning. Hey, I don't ever worry about the building coming down because Trina's holding it up. Sarah said this morning, she goes, you're so funny. I was like, well, if I'm not funny, would you still come to church? She said, yeah, I would. So I don't have any jokes today, I'm sorry. So, you know, what happens a lot of times is people have defined the word repentance over time 
and have added to what the word really means. So if you look at the word repentance, so a lot of times we, we hear this, that repentance is a change of mind that results in a change of direction, or we'll say it's turning from sin, turning to God. So what happens sometimes is that's not the definition of the word repentance. People have added that to it, and while that may be the result of repentance, it's not really the definition of repentance. So if you look at the word repentance in the Greek, it's, it's, a, it's a compound word, metanoia. It doesn't mean turning from sin, turning to God. That could be the result of it. It doesn't mean, oh God, I'm so sorry. Oh God, I'm so sorry. That might be the expression of repentance. That could be what you, how you express repentance. That could be legitimate. But that's not what repentance is. So it could involve tears. It could involve joy. It, it could involve turning from sin. But that's not, those things are not what repentance is. Repentance is merely and simply a change of mind. That's it. Meta means change. Noia means mind. So think of it like this. Uh, you remember the verse in Romans chapter 12, verse 2, it says, Be not conformed to the world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind. The word transformed is where we get the word metamorphosis. Metamorpho. So you have two, two things. Meta, meaning change, and morphe, meaning form. Metamorphe, change of form. Metanoia is change of mind. So it, it's not the actual act of you physically turning, it's what happens here. See, there, and, and if, we, if, we, if we relegate it to this definition of turning from sin to God, then what about when I don't have sin in my life? See, here's what needs to happen. You should be repenting every day. There should be something in your life, if you're in the Word, and if you're in prayer, that the Holy Spirit's revealing to you, God is showing you, He's giving you revelation on, that you realize, oh, I had a wrong thought about that. I need to change that thought. It doesn't mean I'm living in sin. It doesn't mean I need to turn from sin. It means I just need to change my mind. See, I love in Isaiah chapter 55, it says, and this is a very common verse, it says, For my thoughts are not your thoughts, and your ways are not my ways, says the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts higher than your thoughts. So what's God say? He says, hey, my thoughts are here. Like, how high are the heavens? Sort of high, kind of high. Right? My thoughts are here. Your thoughts are where? Here. He said, in the same way that heaven is higher than the earth, my thoughts are higher than your thoughts. So if God's thoughts are here and my thoughts are here, oh, here's what repentance is. Repentance is just learning to think like God thinks. It's taking my thoughts and exchanging them for his thoughts. So if you, there was a book uh, Pastor Bill Johnson wrote a few years ago. If you, if you want to read a great book on renewing your mind, it's called The Supernatural Power of a Transformed Mind. And it's really good. But he gives a practical definition of repentance. And I really like this. 
This isn't, this isn't the etymology. Is it etymology or etymology? One means the study of bugs, the other is the study of words. Whichever one means the study of words. Re, the word repent, this is not the, the, whatever that word is. This isn't it. But here's how he describes repent. He said, think of it like this. And when you think of the word re, re means what? To go back. And he said, when you think of pent, think of penthouse. What floor is the penthouse on? On the top. So he says, when you want to renew your mind, when you want to exchange your thoughts for God's, his thoughts are here in the penthouse, on the top floor. Our thoughts, and he didn't say this, but I'm going to add this, our thoughts are usually in the outhouse. Right? <laughs> so most people say, I do my best thinking on the... Right? So I want to say, get your head out of the toilet. Right? You need to exchange the outhouse for the penthouse. You need to exchange your thoughts for his thoughts. I need to start thinking from heaven's perspective. And when I begin to think, now look at this. So you're like, okay, well, what thoughts do I need to change? Here's, I, I want to I read this verse in context because I, I pulled it out. I want to put another verse with it. So a lot of times I think, okay, God's ways are not my ways. His thoughts are not my, my thoughts. Uh, his thoughts are here. My thoughts are here. His are in the penthouse. Mine are in the outhouse. How do I get from the outhouse to the penthouse? And what thoughts am I thinking that need to change? He gives us the answer in the verse just prior to this. Look at this. Next slide. Oh, apart, okay. apart from repentance, we remain confined to our earthly ways of thinking. All right, next. So look at this. I'm going to read one verse before this. This is verse 7. Let the wicked forsake his way. So this word forsake, forsake means to leave behind. To, to depart from actually means to apostatize. So it says, I want you to leave those ways behind. Here's how you do it. Forsake your way and the unrighteous man has what? Thoughts. Let him return to the Lord. Look, so when I forsake my wrong thoughts, now I can return to the Lord. And it says, let him return to the Lord and he will have mercy on him and to our God, for he will abundantly pardon, for my thoughts are not your thoughts. Do you get how, look at this, the word for means because. It says, he will have mercy unto him, and to our God, for he will abundantly pardon, for my thoughts are not your thoughts. The number one thought that you need to renew, and you need to repent of, is the way we view forgiveness. He, he says, he says, let the unrighteous man forsake his thoughts. And then he says, return to God. He will have mercy on you. He will abundantly pardon for my thoughts are not your thoughts. Here's what he's saying. He says, the way you view forgiveness is not the way I view forgiveness. Abundantly pardon also means to freely forgive. You say, well, how can God do that? Well, God can do that because he's a just God, because he sent Jesus to pay for all of your sin, everyone you ever commit. And he's already paid the penalty, so because Jesus has already paid your sin debt, God can now abundantly pardon. But he said, so many people won't come to me 
because their thoughts about forgiveness are not the same thoughts that I have. See, what people think is they think God's up here and he's looking down and he's just getting ready to do what? Boom! Throw the thunderbolt. He already did that on the cross. See, Jesus stood on the cross, became sin, and God released His wrath on Jesus. And now He he can abundantly pardon. But when we have this view that God is waiting to sock it to us, who wants to return to that kind of God? So He says, here's what you do. Forsake that thought. Have a new thought. See forgiveness the way I see it that I will abundantly pardon. Now, who doesn't want to return to a God like that? So he says, forsake your thought and then return. Here it is in a couple other translations. It means that he will freely pardon. He will forgive generously. He will lavish you with forgiveness. He's always ready to forgive. And I love this one. It says, God's forgiveness is inexhaustible. You can't wear it out. It's abundant. What's abundant mean? It's, it's more than you need. It's in excess. You can't, you can't wear it out. And so well, that's what God says. So when you think of repentance, I just want you to think that the, the thing that we need to change is the way we think about what God thinks about. And the thing he's talking about in this verse specifically is how he forgives, how he pardons, how he, 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 he accepts you back no matter what. All right, let's go to the next slide. All right. Let's uh, I want to pick up on the, the rest of the parable. Anybody ever, ever hear the uh, the acronym TANS-TAFL? Hey, you weren't around in the 70s, that's why. You ever heard this? There ain't no such thing as a free... Ever heard this? There ain't no such thing as a free lunch? You heard that one before. All right, so you, you can abbreviate it T-A-N-T-A-A-S-F-L. There ain't no such thing as a free lunch. What it means is it might be free to you, but it's not free to somebody else. And it's the same thing with forgiveness. It's free to you, but it cost God everything. See, it cost him his son everything so that you could have it free. So even though it seems free, it really wasn't free. The parable of the lost son says, And a certain man had two sons, and the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the portion of the goods that falls to me, so he divided them his livelihood, and not many days after the other son gathered all together, journeyed to a far country, and wasted his possessions with prodigal living. But when he had spent all, there arose a severe famine in the land, and he began to be in want. Then he went and joined himself to a citizen of that country, and he sent him into his fields to feed swine. And he would have gladly filled his stomach with the pods that the swine ate, and no one gave him anything. All right, what was the word we just talked about? Re, 
repentance. Repent. And to repent means to do what? Change your mind. The result of repentance could be a shift. It could be a change in direction. It might be a change in attitude. It might... It doesn't mean you're living in sin. So it means a change of mind. So the word repentance, or to change your mind, is not in this story, but it's implied in the story, and it's in the next verse. So I just want to point it out. So the next verse, verse 17, says this. It says, when he did what? Other translations say, when he came to his senses, he said, and other, some translations say he, say, he said to himself. How many know that when you're talking to yourself, you're thinking out loud? Right? Anybody talk to themselves? All right, do we have a psychiatrist in the house? All right. Just checking, because y'all, you're crazy. No. Sometimes people think out loud, right? So if he's saying this to himself, he's actually verbalizing his thoughts. This is how some people think. So this is where he has a new thought. Now, some people will teach that when he turned around and went to his father, that's where he repented. I don't believe that. I'm going to tell you why. Repentance doesn't mean a physical turn. It means what? Changing your mind. The other thing we're going to find out is he did it with the wrong motives. This guy wasn't going back to his dad because he was sorry for what he did. Why was he going back to his father? He was hungry. Right? He was eating swine food. And so his motives were not remorseful. They were to fill his belly. Here's what I know is God will take you back even when your intentions are wrong. This guy didn't even have the right intentions. He had ulterior motives. His motive, now he, he rehearsed a good story. Father, I have sinned. I am no word, longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. And by the way, give me a steak. Right? Because his ulterior motive was to get some food. It wasn't because he was really sorry. He was just down on his luck. Well, here's the great thing about God. It reminds me when Jesus was feeding the people. And he says, hey, he says to the disciples, they're only coming to me because I fed them. So even when you come to God with the wrong motive, guess what? He's still there. That's, it just blows my mind. That's where my thoughts here... And his thoughts here. Because if my son came to me to get something, well, I shouldn't get down this road because he's done that. Let me just say that. When my son has come to me to get something out of me and I know I'm being worked, I don't say, oh, I love you, I love you, I love you. I was like, dude, I know what you're doing. I'm not dumb. I wasn't born you know, last night, that type of thing. But that's where my thoughts in the outhouse God's thoughts in the penthouse. And he said, you need to take your thought and the way that you do it and exchange it for the way I do it. He says, but when he came to himself, he said, how many of my father's hired servants have bread enough to spare, yet I perish with hunger? I'll arise and go to my father, and I will say to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and before you. I'm no longer worried to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. So it says, and he arose and went to his father. Here's what I know. 
You can change your mind, but only God can change your heart. You can't change your heart. You start here. See, when it says that don't be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, part of renewing your mind is prayer, part is study of the word, part is repentance. But you start here. The Holy Spirit works here. That same word transformed by the renewing of your mind is the same word that says that, that we are transformed by the Spirit from one level of glory to another. So the Spirit does the work. You can't change your heart, but you can change your mind. And when you make a decision that, hey, things here need to change. I need to make a change. I'm going back to the Father that thinks about forgiveness up here, even though I might have been taught down here, even though I might have been treated like this when I was a kid, even though I might have learned wrong things, my father thinks about it up here. And I'm going back. And he says, and some, and he rose and came to his father, verse 20, when he was still a great way off, his father saw him, had compassion, ran and fell on his neck and kissed him. And he said, said to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and in your sight, I'm no longer worthy to call your son. Father said to his servants, bring out the best robe, put it on him, put a ring on his hand and sandals on his feet, and bring the fatted calf and kill it, and let us be merry. For this my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And they began to be merry. All right. I did it. I didn't think I'd get through all three of those. All right. Three points from that. Number one. His reaction. So I, I want you to think from the way God thinks, right? His thoughts are not our thoughts. His ways are not our ways. So repentance is just changing the way I think for the way God thinks. So as I see the way that he thinks about people that are lost, people that are stuck, I need to change my thoughts to think like he does so I can act like he does. I can't change my behavior if I don't change the way I think. So how does God react? As soon as somebody's lost, what does he do? It says he left the 99, who having 100 sheep and loses one, does not leave the 99 and go after the one which is lost until, until he finds it. What a difference that word makes. Because there's a lot of people in this room that will jump on the bandwagon, oh yeah, Long ago, I'm going to go help find the lost person. I'm on the bandwagon. Let's go. Let's go. And a day later, where are you at? Yeah, right. <laughs> yeah. You done fell off the wagon. Now we're looking for you. See, when it takes longer to find somebody than you anticipated, we give up. When it's not convenient, when the football game's on, when I got other stuff to do, I quit. But it says that God looks until He finds it. See, God looks until. So you might think God gave up on you a long time ago. I want to tell you this He's still looking, He hasn't stopped. He looks until He finds you. The woman, the Holy Spirit, it says, lights, who uh, doesn't lose a coin that lights the lamp, sweets the house, and searches carefully. Again, how long? Until she finds it. 
That word search carefully. I love the Passion Translation. The Passion says that she searches diligently in every nook and cranny. That's pretty cool. Because you know what? Sometimes we'll look for people for a time, and then all of a sudden, guess what? Ooh, I don't want to see them now. Or you're at the market, right? There's somebody you've been pursuing. God's been working on your heart. You've tried to reach them. And, 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 and all, of a sudden you, all of a sudden, you start avoiding them. Did you ever get down to uh, Martin's? And the person that you've been looking for, that you know is lost, you know they need help, you've just had it with them, and you catch them at the end of the other aisle, right? You see them, they don't see you. <laughs> you know, the Coke's piled this high. That's not searching in every nook and cranny. See, that's not how God looks. God's coming right down the aisle. See, He's looking in every aisle for you. He's leaving no stone unturned. And so, when we're searching and looking and pursuing that one that needs Jesus, we don't give up. And not only do we not give up, we don't leave a stone unturned. We're going where we might just happen to run into them. Instead of saying, ah, you know what, not today, I think I'll do the dip. Not this kind of dip. Let's go back. Let's go back one. The Father. It says the Father, it says when He was a great way off, the Father what? Saw Him. See, the Father was looking for the Son before the Son was ever walking toward the Father. Every day, scanning the horizon. He goes to bed. Every day he gets up. He gets up. It's been 300 days. It's been 600 days. It's been two years, three years. Every day he's looking. There's not a day that he doesn't get out of bed with the thought of the Son on his mind. And that's how your Father looks for you. Next slide. God's not a quitter. He's not a quitter. Don't ever think God's given up on you. Don't ever think God's given up on your loved one. Don't think God's ever given up on that one person that you know that needs Jesus, because He has. Ever. So God pursues you until He finds you, but what happens when He finds you? You know, you can ruin what you say by the way you say it. Right? It's not, it's not what you say, it's what? How you say it. I don't remember the exact amount, but I think about 90% of all communication is tone and inflection and body language. It's not what you say. What if I said, you're the most beautiful woman in the world. What if I said, baby, you are the ugliest woman I've ever seen? <laughs> yeah. I better, a better uh, metanoia that one, Pastor Jay said. 
So it's one thing that God looks for you, but when he finds you, how does he find you? How does he respond the moment that he finds you? Look at this. How? Go to the next slide. When he found the sheep, I love this. Now, granted, when the sheep's on the shoulder, is the sheep safe? Right? The, the sheep is safe. But don't you know, anybody ever lose their dog? When you find your dog, do you like, you idiot, come on. <laughs> At least that's what I do. You know, and hopefully he's got the choker collar on when I do it. Boom. You know, Grayson, Grayson is, is obstinate, you know, he's awful. So we have this choker collar, it's got spikes in it, you know. I, I, I got to admit, I, I have a little pleasure when I do that. It gets his attention. And, and, you know, a lot of times, you know, we think God picks the sheep up, but it's like, oh, come on, come on. What did I lose? Lost something. All out of control here. But that's not what he does at all. It says that, I love this, it says, he picks the sheep up rejoicing. I found you. I love you. I've been looking for you. Oh, I love you little sheep. I love you little sheep. Now, I, I, don't, I do not treat Grace in that way. No. Maybe Willow. Maybe Willow. Uh, I like Willow. She's got a better personality. But it says, think about that. That's how Jesus responds when he comes to us. He's not kicking us. He's not jerking our choker collar. He's laying us rejoicing. And not only is he rejoicing, what does he do? Same thing the woman does. It says she goes... He goes, gets his friends and neighbors, and says what? Hey, the lost sheep is found. The lost coin is found. Rejoice with me. I ran into something this week as I read this. I've always, I don't know if it's because I've heard. Did you ever believe something just because you hear people say it and you don't actually look it up in the Bible? So I've always said, oh, the angels are having a party when one sinner repents. Do you, ever hear, do you ever say that? The angels are rejoicing. It doesn't say that. I just realized it this week. It says there's presence or there's joy in the presence of the angels. It doesn't say there's joy on the part of the angels. It also says there's more joy in heaven over one sinner that repents than 99 just people that need to repent. So who's rejoicing if the angels aren't? The rejoicing is taking place in their presence. The Father. The Holy Spirit, Jesus, they're saying yes. Maybe the saints that are there, I don't know, but the angels are just along for the ride, I guess. Not really sure what they're doing. I don't know. <laughs> Fluttering, I guess they flitter. One more time. <laughs> don't, don't get a picture of me doing this either. Because that'll, Pastor Jay will eat that up. <laughs> don't be taking pictures of that. 
pray this prayer. Your will be done, where? On earth, as it is in heaven. Now we pray that quite often for the miraculous. There's no sickness in heaven, should be a sickness here. There's no lack in heaven, there shouldn't be any lack here. But why don't we pray this when we see somebody repent that we think deserves judgment? See, there's rejoicing where? In heaven. But on earth, the way we think, I mean, just look at Facebook when somebody gets caught. They deserved it. They're getting what's due. Let them rot in hell. I hope they rot in jail. Why don't we pray on earth as it is in heaven as it, it pertains to the sinner that repents? Boy, it got really quiet. That's a good point. Yeah, what the Holy Spirit spoke to me this week, he said, are you like Jesus or are you like Jonah? Remember Jonah? God said go to Nineveh, that wicked city, and preach to it. And then he didn't listen, and he went on a ship, and the storm came, they threw him overboard, he got in a fish. Three days later, he, he, he prays, and the fish spits him out, and he finally goes and preaches, and guess what? The whole city repents. And if you look at Jonah chapter 4, guess what Jonah did? It's not fair. They deserve hell. It said he actually got angry that they repented. Jonah's angry, Jesus is rejoicing. Who do you think needs to change their mind? If you ever have a negative thought about somebody that repents, I think you need to repent. Next slide. Wrap this up. But when he was still a great way off, his father saw him, had compassion. Sorry, he talked about the father looking at him, had compassion, ran, uh, fell on his neck, and kissed him. I won't go through all these. I just want to draw your attention to one. Let's just talk about one. It says, fell on his neck. How did he pick the sheep up? It says, he laid it on his shoulder, rejoicing. How did the father. Now think about this. The father did all of this before one word exited the son's mouth. Which means the father had already forgiven the son before the son ever came back. It says he fell upon his neck. He embraced him. He hugged him. He loved him. He passionately kissed him. What I love about this word fell upon It's also the same word, fell upon, that speaks of the Holy Spirit. It's the same word in Acts chapter 10, verses 43 and 44. Peter's at Cornelius' house. And at at the end of verse 43, it says, Whoever believes in him, speaking of Jesus, shall have forgive shall receive forgiveness of sin. Whoever believes in him will receive forgiveness of sins. 
Then the next verse says, and those that heard those words, that he was, or it says, as he spoke those words, the Holy Spirit fell upon them that heard the word. As he spoke the words, whoever believes in him will receive the forgiveness of sins. As he said it, the Holy Spirit fell. As he's speaking. Same word. When we talk about the forgiveness of God and what's available through Jesus, the Holy Spirit wraps his arms around them. It says he fell on them. And it says that, that they received the Holy Spirit just like the Jews did on the day of Pentecost. See, the Holy Spirit loves forgiveness. The Holy Spirit loves grace. He's called the Spirit of grace. They all three are equal. All right, let's go to the last one. We're going to finish real quick. Restoration. So, you know, the son comes to give fed. He, he, he only came for food, but, but man, God gave everything back to him that he lost. He gave him back everything he lost. You know, the whole other teaching, you know, the, the best robe is the robe of righteousness. That you always remain righteous before God. He says, put a ring on his finger, he restores his authority, put sandals on his feet, he restores his sonship. Uh, he's no longer barefoot, like at that time slaves would be barefoot. And he says, on top of all that, go get a big, thick ribeye. Put it on the grill, cook it medium rare. Get a little A1. You know what? I, I love going to really nice restaurants and ordering A1. It just drives them crazy. They're like, well, we have a housemate. I was like, I don't want a housemate. I want A1. That's what I grew up on. I like A1. See, it doesn't matter if you're like the sheep. Maybe you're like the sheep. Think about the sheep. The sheep, if you've ever seen a herd of sheep, the sheep just didn't go haywire one day and run off. Right? He, didn't, he didn't do a 40, 100-yard dash to the left. He's probably like, meh, Next thing you know, he's lost. That could be like you. You got off path. You lost your way. You could be like the coin. You think about the story when, when, when the Pharisee says, uh, should we pay taxes? And, and Jesus says, whose image and inscription uh, or superscription is on the coin, and they said Caesar's. He said, render uh, under Caesar what's Caesar, and under God what's God. You have the image of God stamped on you. Maybe you've forgotten your value. You've forgotten your worth. Maybe you're like the lost son, that, that you've been entrusted with spiritual gifts. You've been entrusted with, with, with a, an inheritance from God himself. And you've squandered it away. Here's what I want to tell you today, last slide. We always talk about this side of restoration, which is God wants to restore what the enemy's stolen, and that is so true. But God also wants to restore what you've forfeited on your own. See, it's easy to say, I think it's Psalm 63 or 69, and it's a Messianic psalm, but David says, I have restored that which I didn't steal. Talking about Jesus, he restores the very thing that the enemy stole, and, and he didn't steal it, but he's the one who gives it back. 
But you know, sometimes you just lose stuff because you're an idiot. You make bad decisions. You are thinking from the outhouse. And sometimes you think, you know what? I messed up so bad. It wasn't the enemy. The devil didn't make me do it. I just made a bad choice. God wants to restore that too. And I don't get it. I really don't because his thoughts are here. I'm trying. I might be on like the eighth floor. I'm trying to get up there. I haven't got there yet. But you know what's great? Is the more I get in God's word and the more God opens my eyes up to, to how good he is, I just, I just can't wait to repent the next time. Because repentance is a good thing. Because I'm learning how to think like God. I want you to start thinking like God. Let's stand up and pray. Nobody looking around. Nobody moving. So two things. One, if you are lost, I mean lost in that you have never found, shouldn't say you haven't found the Lord because he's not lost. Jesus is, hasn't found you yet. You've never said yes to Jesus. You say, you know what, I'm lost, I'm off my path, I don't know where I'm going. If I died, I don't know where I would end up. If that's you, I just want you to, I just want to pray for you. I want you to slip your hand up, I want to pray for you today let you know that there there is a way. God loves you. God's already paid for it. Anybody here that says, I'm lost, I want to find Jesus today? I don't see any hands. If anybody's online, I want to do this. If that's you and you want, to, you want to receive Jesus today, just say, Jesus, I deserve hell, and I realize that you came and paid my way. You died for me, you rose again, and just like it recorded what Peter said, I receive Jesus and therefore have the forgiveness of sin. I put my faith and trust in him. That's all you got to do. But as believers, there's times in our life when we get off track too. Maybe you were living, living for the Lord. Maybe you got around it, as Crystal said earlier, maybe you got started hanging out with the wrong people. Maybe you slowly, it didn't happen at first, but maybe you spent a little time, you spent a little time with the wrong crowd, you spent a little time with the wrong crowd, next thing you know, you're so far off track, you don't know where you're at. If that's you, I want to pray for you today. Put your hand up right now. I know there's some people here like that today. I see those couple hands. I see them in the back. I see those hands. Are right, you put those down? Father? Lord, I, I just I just want to say right now that to those that raise their hands, on your behalf, you've never quit pursuing them. That God loves you. God's plans for you have never changed. It doesn't matter how far off track you got, God is right here today to restore you back on the right path. Holy Spirit, we just ask right now that, that you would draw those that need drawn. Anybody here today that maybe you've gotten so far off track you forgot 
who you were. You've maybe done some things. You've, you've lost, you lost your value. You know how much God loves you, but you just, you need your identity. You need reminded of who you are. See those hands. One hand, two hands, three, four, five. I want to tell you this. No matter what you've done, your values never derive from what you do or don't do. Your value is derived based on what was paid for. And you were bought with the precious blood of Jesus Christ. Every drop, every bruise, every scourge, every nail, every bit of blood that flowed from Jesus paid for you. You are so valuable. Holy Spirit, I just ask right now that you would remind each person how much you love them and how much they're worth how valuable they are. In Jesus' name. Okay. We have no closing altar time, but I want you to know that if you need prayer, would like prayer, anything specific, we're here to pray with you. Love to chat.